Welcome again, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Smyrna Campus, we're glad you guys are with us. We love you down there. So glad you're connected there. And anybody connecting online, we're so glad that you have found us online and connect with us there, especially those regular members that are still staying connected and growing and serving there. And any visitors we have connecting today, we're so glad you found us. We are today continuing a series called Rediscover Christmas. Before we get to that, I just want to remind everybody, uh, Smyrna Campus, you guys, we've got a pop-up uh, bookstore down there for you today. Great gift items and ideas for Christmas and other occasions, so we hope that you'll shop there. It's open here at the Antioch Campus as well. And I'm loving these new mugs that we just got in. I was able to uh, borrow one for this morning. I don't know if it's a gift or not yet. Uh, they may be asking me for 10 bucks later, but this is nice. And uh, I have some delicious shine-worthy tea this morning. Excuse me just one moment. Ah, man, that's good. So if you don't have a mug already, a branded mug with Lakeshore Christian on it, it might be a good time to get that or get it for a gift for someone else. Christmas is a big deal for everybody, but it's really kind of a big deal in Finland. I didn't realize that until I was reading recently. They've got a great tradition there. It's been going on for many, many years. In fact, it's happened almost every year since the 1300s. I mean, any tradition that lasts over 700 years is pretty significant, isn't it? And what they do is every year on Christmas Eve around noon, they have the Declaration of Christmas Peace. It's declared in the city, in the city of Turku, and it's a proclamation that's read usually by a city official right downtown on, on the Great Square, they call it there. It's broadcast on radio and television, and now with the technology, they also live stream it so you can connect with it that way. The declaration serves as a reminder to everybody to pause for a moment, to, to stop and think about what Christmas is really all about. And it's also... Uh, an encouragement to spend the holidays in harmony with each other, to be at peace with each other. In fact, it threatens offenders with harsh punishments if they don't keep the peace during Christmas. The, pro the proclamation reads this way. Tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, and thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time to all by advising devotion and to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully. Because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behavior shall under aggravating circumstances be guilty and punished according to what the law and the statutes prescribe for each and every offense separately. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast is wished to all inhabitants of the city." You better not mess with the Finns on Christmas Peace Day, all right? You don't want to mess that up because they will deal harshly with you if you do. But it's a great reminder to all of us of the peace that Christ came to bring into the world. As a quick recap, if you've been following along with us, last week we introduced this idea of rediscovering Christmas. And we started with the hope that Christ brings. And Advent this thing that we're leading to, this thing that we're participating in right now, Advent is a season of hope and anticipation, looking and longing for something that was promised, something that was expected, something that was longed for that was coming. 
Even when you didn't know when, even when you didn't have it all figured out, I know exactly how it was going to happen. You looked for it. You longed for the advent of it when it came. And so we're in this Advent season together, this season of expectation and waiting and anticipation and longing. And Advent is not just about Christmas Day. Advent is really something that links the past, the present, and the future. It looks back to that promise that was made to Abraham that through his descendants all the world was going to be blessed through him. And then it looks to the, the present of the coming, the arrival of Christ. We know we are now on the other side of that. We have the record of his coming to be God with us. But it also looks to the future of his coming again and how we need to have his presence with us right now as we anticipate his coming. We need to live in the expectation and the hope of the coming of Christ. And it changes how we live when we live with the understanding of the past and the present and we have that hope for the future. So each week we're focusing on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. As I said last week was hope. Today we're going to be looking at peace and then over the next two weeks we'll look at joy and love. And each of these traits leads us to really rediscovering what Christmas is supposed to be all about. We're glad that you're here today and connected with us and participating with us in this season of Advent. And as we look at rediscovering peace today, we're looking at different Christmas characters in Scripture, people who participated in that original season of Advent and Christmas, and we're learning about these different aspects from them. When we think of peace in the Christmas story, I don't know of any people in the story that are really more connected to that than the shepherds out in the field that night, the night that Christ was born, and how the angel appeared to them, and then more angels joined with them, and there was this message of peace to some very unlikely recipients. I want us to read together Luke's account. If you're going to be turning to it, it's in Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up with verse 8. This passage has become much more familiar, much more famous, much more well known because of the clip we just saw from a Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, even people who had no connection to Christ and no connection to the church would let their kids watch that or watch that with their kids. And Charles Schultz, the the author of, of that special, he wanted to make sure that even though it was a fun thing for the kids to watch, the real message of Christmas got out. That's what he really wanted it to be all about. And so in that moment when Linus quotes that scripture, Some people have pointed out, and I had not noticed it until a few years ago, it was pointed out to me that that's the only time he drops his blanket. It's when he quotes that scripture. You see, that was his security blanket. That's what gave him peace. But when he quoted that about Christ, he could drop the blanket and claim the peace of that message of Christmas. So let's look at that message together. And maybe it's a source for you today of peace. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Does it start out peacefully, does it? They're terrified at first. I mean, you would be too, out in the middle of the night. You've been doing this for probably a long time. That's your job. You work the night shift, taking care of those flocks. And all of a sudden, there's somebody there right in front of you. That would startle you. It would, it would cause you to have your peace disturbed for a moment. Okay? 
It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I love when God sends his angels. Oftentimes, the very first words out of their mouth is, do not be afraid, right? I mean, we need that when somebody just appears all of a sudden, and we want to hear that right away. I don't have reason to fear here, to be afraid. He said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Can't you feel the relief coming over the shepherds now as they start hearing that message? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they were told. Isn't it amazing that of all the people that this could be announced to, God chose to announce it to these lowly shepherds on the hillside. I mean, there's so much in these few paragraphs that I just read that we could unpack, but I just want to look at a few things today that, that I think should stand out to us. Uh, this is actually like God's birth announcement to the world of the birth of his son. That's, that's what this is. He sent the angel there with the birth announcement. Now, we get birth announcements a lot on, you know, in the mail or maybe today you know, over the Internet we get announcements like that. But can you imagine an angel coming and making the announcement for the parents that this child had been born? And suddenly, in the middle of an ordinary night in a Bethlehem countryside, the angel appears in the sky to shepherds. And then it's not just one angel, but, but it says a whole host of the heavenly beings are there with the angels. The New Living Translation calls them the armies of heaven. I like that description. The armies of heaven. When somebody asks me, you and whose army, that's what I always think of, right? The armies of heaven, that's who. It's, it's, it's a reinforcement of the announcement of how big this is, of how important this is. And, and, and then there's the sound. All together, these incredible angelic beings are praising God, probably singing or, or quoting out those verses that we just read about how great God is and how great this event is. And the language they were speaking, uh, we don't know all the languages that might have been spoken there, but certainly in a language that the shepherds could understand. We don't know how loud it was. We don't know how many others might have heard the sound of rejoicing that was going on there, but we know it was especially designed for those who were there to be the audience with the angelic beings. And who would the audience be? I mean, if we were in charge of announcing the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who would we announce it to? Kings, presidents, prime ministers. The rich and the famous, they would be invited to the announcement celebration, right? That, that's how the world does things. The VIPs of the world would be all be, we make sure they all got their invitation. But the only people there for this announcement 
are these lowly shepherds. They had no influence, no position of power, no, no titles that would give them some kind of honor in their culture. In fact, shepherds weren't really honored that much. They were considered to be good, hardworking people who, who were pretty honest people because you had to depend on them to take care of the flocks. But other than that, they didn't have any position of prominence at all in their culture. So the question is, since we know it was shepherds, why shepherds particularly would this announcement be made to? Well, I think it could be because the shepherds actually tie many biblical threads together for us. Uh, looking back in the history of Israel, we see that the patriarchs of Israel were actually shepherds, mostly. They, they, they were, in fact, roaming shepherds. They, they took herds from place to place uh, as they moved around the area of the world that they lived in. And, and found better grazing land here or there, and they would move them around. They were like nomad shepherds, most of them, those early patriarchs of Israel. And, and I think that's one reason, maybe. Abraham was the original recipient, remember, of God's promise. And then it was carried on through Isaac and Jacob and beyond. David, Israel's greatest king, started out as a what? A shepherd. When they found him, to announce that he was going to be king, to be selected for that. He was out tending sheep when they found him, when they called him in to be appointed as the next king. You see, there is that tying up of all that God was doing symbolically here, leading to the coming of this Messiah. But the shepherds were not just the patriarchs. They were the, the every, every man's man kind of guys. They, they were... Uh, no, they had no pride, no arrogance. They were just hard workers. Uh, they were humble. And they were people who would be feeling very honored, very privileged that God would make an announcement like this to them. I think sometimes when we get to positions of power or influence of notoriety, we lose that sense of feeling honored when somebody invites us to something, it's almost just so expected there's no honor to it anymore. But that wouldn't be true at all for these shepherds. They would have a greater appreciation of the fact that God included them in this when he could have announced it to anybody. I mean, Jesus is being born to very humble parents, right? A, a, a carpenter and, and, and a young girl who, who was away from her home when she's giving birth. She doesn't have her family there, her friends there. Uh, they would usually use midwives in that culture to help with the delivery. She doesn't have that. She doesn't have any nice facility. She's in a stable. And who could relate to that better than anybody else? Shepherds. Just common, everyday shepherds. These shepherds also signify, I think, Jesus' coming ministry. His life and ministry and teaching. Sheep may have been lonely animal, lowly animals, but they were, they were very important in the history of Israel, especially going back to the Passover lamb. You see, in, in Israel's history, that first Passover, in order for them to be spared and delivered from Egypt, they had to take the blood of a perfect lamb and, and, and smear it over the doorposts of their homes, and then the death angel would pass over them even though that plague would come to all the other homes who didn't have the blood, they would be protected from that plague of death. And that would lead to their freedom from slavery. 
And then they were commanded and taught year after year after that. At a certain time every year, at the time of Passover, they were commanded to take a lamb again and sacrifice it to remember God's deliverance for them through the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb represented the, the cleansing of sin, the, the, the making things right with God again, even though they had failed so many times in their lives. It was to restore a person in their relationship with God. And you and I know that Jesus was entering the world to fulfill his destiny as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Not something that would have to be done over and over again, but which would be the full payment for sin for all of us. And so it makes sense when you think of it that way that God announcing this would go to shepherds and say, unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's his life that made it possible to experience true peace. In the Hebrew, there's a word that's translated usually just peace. It's the word shalom. And shalom, it, it does mean peace, but it means so much more than just our idea of peace. We, we've got this warped idea of peace that it means uh, everything around us is okay now so we can have peace. There's no war anymore. There's no conflict. There's no disputes anymore. And that's why we, we can say peace. But that's not what this word really means. It means wholeness, restoration, completeness, no matter what's going on around you. Shalom. Peace. It's a peace that, that is far more than just not anything bothering us for a moment. You know, for parents, peace for us is just the kids being quiet, taking a nap maybe, right? But this peace is there. This shalom can exist even when the kids are going wild. It doesn't make sense, but it's true. He is the one who can give us shalom, completeness, peace. We talk about somebody completing us. I know that's the romantic thing to say right now. You complete me, right? If you're asking some other human being to complete you, you're asking for an impossibility. They can never do it. Not consistently. Oh, you think for a moment, yeah. For a little while, you feel like they can. And they, they may make you feel it for a little while, but then they snore that night, right? And keep you awake. They don't put their dirty clothes in their laundry basket. It's laying on the floor right next to it, but you don't quite get it in there, right? And what happens to the completeness then, right? And they forget to pick up the items you ask them to bring home that day. Yeah, whatever it is. Not so completing then, is it? You see, this completeness, shalom completeness, is so much deeper than that. And, and, and it's not dependent at all on those things being done that we think will give us peace because the thing that needs to be done the most is completed in Christ, who is the shalom that we're looking for. You see, God's favor is not based on human standards and everything being right. Remember, he said uh, he's going to give peace. Uh, to the, peace will be given to those on whom God's favor rests. God's favor doesn't rest on everybody who just has their act together and is doing everything perfect and nothing's going wrong in their lives. That's not 
the limit to God's favor. Aren't you glad? Because even if your ducks are in a row right now, I got news for you, they'll wander off again soon. You don't keep them in a row very long. And if that is what it takes to have God's favor, then none of us can have God's favor very long in our lives. But this favor of God is based on the shalom of completeness in Christ, not on us having our act together all the time and having everything worked out in our lives so nothing can disturb our peace. That's not what it is. His favor is on all those who humbly acknowledge their brokenness and accept the gifts of hope and peace and joy and love that Jesus came to bring us, that we're rediscovering this Advent season. Peace is not based on class or position or occupation, but on God's purpose and design to bring good news to all. I think the shepherds also lead us to several insights about our own intersection with God's peace, God's shalom in our lives. So in closing today, I want us to look at three, three revelations about this peace. The first one is this. Peace comes in the midst of our storms. Peace comes in the midst of our storms. Have you ever experienced a hurricane? Anybody in here? Anybody at the Smyrna campus? You've been through a hurricane? I've only been through one, and I was a kid, and I didn't even realize exactly what we were going through. My family traveled to visit with my aunt down at the beach in Florida, where she lived at the time. And my dad, you know, he had planned this. This is the only week of vacation we had. And we were, you know, you remember these trips in the station wagon? Right? You get in the back of the car, they fold down the seats. There are no seat belts back there. Right? Here it is with a blanket back there, and I have two brothers, and we were packed in the back of the station wagon there. He's touching me. He's on my side. You know, all of that stuff going on the whole trip down there. But no hurricane was going to stop my dad from taking us on this vacation trip, right? He had it planned. It's the only week he had. And I didn't know they had already said a hurricane was coming in down there. But he took us to our aunt's house, free room and board, right? My dad spared no expense on our vacations. We're staying at our aunt's house. And and this hurt. Now, I will give my dad this. It was not a very powerful hurricane. This was one of the lowest level hurricanes. So he said, we're going to ride it out. My aunt said, I don't plan to leave. We're going to ride it out. So come on down. So we went down during this hurricane. And... When it first started coming in and hitting, we were outside watching it. We went out to the beach just to watch it. The waves were getting really big, and us kids wanted to be out there in the waves and everything. We wanted to play and have some fun out there and, uh, and body surf on the waves, and we were trying to do all that. And as it started getting worse and worse and worse, my mom comes out, come on in, you're going to die. You know how it goes, right? You're going to die out there. you got to come in. And so we finally come in, and, and, and then... After a while, that first front push of the hurricane passes through, and what happens next? The eye of the storm. Perfectly calm. I mean quiet calm. It was spooky calm for just a little while there. And we thought it was okay. Let's go out and play again, right? Let's go out and have fun. It's over. It's calm now. Now, our parents and my aunt, they knew They knew this wasn't the end of it. They let us go out for a little while and go right back in, right? Because they knew what was coming behind it. Only this time, here's the thing about the hurricane. The winds were coming one direction on the front end, 
You have the calm. And then what happens on the next end? The winds come from the opposite direction. Blowing just as hard, causing just as much havoc and damage as the front part of the hurricane. We are desperately trying to find peace in the eye of a hurricane. And, and, and by that, I mean we're trying to find it in all the wrong things, thinking it's going to last, and it won't. If I could find the right person to marry, if I could make enough money, I'll have peace finally. If I could move to the right neighborhood, if I could, you know, we're looking at all these temporary things, thinking that's where we're going to find our peace. And we find moments of peace, and then, bam, the hurricanes hit again, don't they? It's because we're looking to the wrong source. We're, we're, we're looking to the wrong things. It's like, it's like this Christmas season. I don't know how it's going for you this year, but this has been a crazy year. We've talked about it. We all know that. Maybe, though, every Christmas for you is chaotic, you get so busy, you got so much going on, you got so many things you're trying to do. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you, you've got an overloaded schedule at work that robs you of peace. Or maybe it's something more. It's, it's relational conflict that's going on in your home that's robbing you of your peace. Or maybe it's something uh, at work, pressure that you're under to, to get something done that you don't seem to be able to get done. Maybe it's a, a lost job. Maybe it's an illness. You name it. The list can go on, right? All these things that pop in there and take away our peace if that's what we're trying to to have peace with is, is everything being okay in all of those areas, then we don't ever have peace for very long in our lives. Because it doesn't stay that way in this world for very long. And this year we've had even more options of things that could take away our peace. Peace sounds like a long way off to a lot of us, doesn't it? Like it's almost unattainable, doesn't it? And yet, Jesus shows up in the middle of storms. I mean, he did it that night when he was born. It was not a great night for Mary and Joseph. Think about it. They were in a, a town they didn't want to be in. They were in a stable. They had hoped to have a room there in the end, and they are in a stable now. They don't have their family or friends with them. Uh, they, they don't have any of the help they thought they were going to help have for the childbirth time. It was not a, we sing silent night. Friends, it was anything but silent, I guarantee you. This was no silent night. And Jesus comes in the middle of the storm. Mary and Joseph's friends and family probably wouldn't have been there anyway. They probably were still looking on them with shame because Mary, they thought, was pregnant outside of marriage, Right? They thought they had not followed God's plan for their lives and their marriage. And in that culture, it was still looked down on greatly to be in that circumstance. This was not, in the world's way of having peace, anything like a peaceful night. But Jesus is born in the middle of that. God arrives in the middle of the storms. You know the story later on. Jesus is with his disciples on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes up. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He's taking a nap. I love that about Jesus. I saw a sweatshirt the other day. It said, be like Jesus. Jesus napped. <laughs> the older I get, the more I like that. I think that's good. Yeah. 
He's taking a nap in the middle of this raging storm, and they go wake up and say, Jesus, what are you doing sleeping? Don't you care about us at all? We're going to die out here in the storm. And Jesus gets up and he says, oh, you have little faith, right? <laughs> okay. He gets up on the deck of the boat, and he looks out over the storm and says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves just calm and get quiet. And they were amazed, it says, that even the wind and the waves obey this guy. You see, his peace can come in the middle of the storm. The storm is not what robs us of the peace. It's, it's not being close to Jesus that robs us of our peace. It's not being aware of his presence in the storm. There was time after time after time where God didn't take away the bad thing. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament? They're put into a fiery furnace, but the scripture says God didn't stop the flames. He didn't put out the furnace. What did he do? It said there was a fourth person in there with him, one who looked like the Son of Man. You see, in the middle of the fire, who was there? Jesus, right there with him. See, this is peace in the midst of the storms. I know we, we want Jesus to take the storms away, and sometimes he does do that, but oftentimes he just wants us in the middle of the storm to trust him to be our shalom, our peace, because we know he's the one who could completely care for us in every way. It comes in the midst of storms, and actually peace defies our circumstances. This peace, this shalom defies our circumstances. And some of you may be thinking, but you don't know how hard my life is right now. You don't know how much I hurt. You don't know all that I'm going through. And you may be right. I, I don't know all those details for everybody. I know some, but I, I don't know them all. I can only imagine how awful it might be for some of you. But I do know this. In the face of all that you're going through and all that you're feeling, this idea of peace doesn't make sense to you right now when you're in the middle of all that. It really doesn't make sense. But I want to reassure you of this. It is real, even though it doesn't make sense. It is real, even though it doesn't make sense. And it's healing when you find it. And it's healing when you realize you can have it even when the storms are raging. It can guard your heart from those continuing hurts and wounds that people want to keep throwing at you when you find it, the shalom. It can protect your mind from the onslaught of anxiety. Some of you know this passage that reminds us of that from Paul in Philippians 4, beginning with verse 4. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And so many times we don't catch that. The Lord is near part. The word translated near means his presence is right there for you. Always. When the storm's there, yes. When you're hurting, yes. When you're doing great, yes. He's near. He, his presence is there. In everything, in every situation. So he can say this. Do not be anxious about anything. 
That word anxious could be translated worried or upset or having your peace disturbed and taken away from you. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, which situations? Every situation by doing what? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And here's the peace. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He'll guard our hearts and our minds with this peace that is impossible to understand. That's what it means to transcend all understanding. It doesn't make sense. I can't explain it to you. There's no way for it to be put out on a, on a chart on the screen where we can show you exactly how this works. It doesn't work that way. It transcends our ability to understand how it could possibly be there, but it's there and it's real. And you know it if you've experienced it. I have. I don't always experience it the way I should because I don't always look to it right away when I should. But when I do, when I make sure I'm aware of and acknowledging the presence of Jesus in that storm, somehow, miraculously, peace is there when he's there. And he's always there. We don't always acknowledge it. We don't always look to it. But he's always there. Let me encourage each of you today, no matter what you're facing, that this process begins with us turning to him. Why does it have to begin that way? Because he's already there. He doesn't have to turn to you. You have to turn to him. That's the difference. He doesn't have to turn. He's there. We have to turn to him. This process begins with bringing our hurts and our questions and our doubts and our whys and our needs to him. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, he says, you take the initiative to present your request to him. I don't pretend to fully understand it, but there's a power in prayer that is transformational. And, and there's power in showing gratitude in the middle of a bad situation that is transformational for your life. He says, go to him with prayer and petition with gratitude, with thanksgiving. Do we have reason in the middle of all that junk to be grateful? Absolutely. Because when we turn to him, what do we find? We find him there with his peace. We find him there to complete us as God created us to be so that we can have peace. That perspective, when you do the prayer and petition with gratitude, it changes us and it finds, it helps us find an understanding that God is with us no matter what. And that leads to the third thing today, and that is this. Peace is a person. If you're looking for peace, stop trying to find it anywhere else but in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2.14. Speaking of Christ, he says, For he himself is our peace. It's a person. It's Jesus. And I think all of us want that, don't we? Don't we want to have peace in our lives? We're longing for it. Everybody is. 
Don't kid yourself. Even the person out there in the world that you think is the cruelest, meanest uh, person in the world, even that person ultimately deep down, what are they wanting in their lives? Peace. Now they're going about the wrong way. They're, they're doing all the wrong things to get it, but they're still looking for the same thing. They're looking for peace. They're thinking something else is going to give it to them, but that's what they're looking for. And so the answer is Jesus. We used to tell our kids all the time when we ask them this question, what did you learn at church today? The answer is always what? You learned about what? Jesus. That's always the right answer, right? Always the right answer. Even if they didn't pay attention to the lesson at all, they knew they could say, well, we learned about Jesus. What else? Right? We're at church. The answer is always Jesus. If you're looking for peace, the answer is always Jesus. Long before his arrival on earth, Isaiah the prophet spoke these words in Isaiah 9, beginning with verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And it sounds like there's political overtones there. And the, the nation of Israel took that, that prophecy and they were still thinking from a worldly point of view that peace would be when, when the Messiah came and overthrew the Roman government and set up his own government on the earth. And then he would be ruling in peace because they thought peace had to be getting rid of that Roman oppression that they were under. Even they, many of them, didn't get it. But the peace he was talking about could be theirs even under Roman oppression, even under the worst of circumstances. He can be our peace. This child that is born, this son that is given, brings the power and rule of his peace into our personal lives. He's the bringer of peace between us and God. He's the sacrificial lamb, the giver of life, the embodiment of shalom, and all that God meant for it to be is found in Jesus. Wholeness, completeness. We find it in our relationship with him, not with anybody else or anything else. Jesus is the God who has come to be with us to bring us this shalom. And he invites us in his teachings in Matthew 11, verse 28, to do this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, he says, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, that's an offer of peace. But notice he says, peace comes from being yoked together with him. Now, if you don't know anything about farming or a yoke, a yoke was a device they used to hook animals together because animals working together, yoked together, could have a lot greater strength and ability to accomplish things than any animal by itself could if they were the right animals yoked together, that worked together. Here's what he's saying. I came so that you would yoke up with me 
so that I would always be there. My strength, my teaching, my love, my presence, my power, it will always be. You'll always have that because you're connected to it all the time when you're yoked together with me. And that will make your burden light. That will allow you to rest and have peace because you're yoked with him. Sometimes people misunderstand that yoke thing like we got to work hard and then maybe we can have peace. That's not what the yoke means. The yoke means you're connected and bound together with the Prince of Peace. And just his presence is your source of peace. So in this Advent season, I want to encourage you. I want to remind all of us to look for the Prince of Peace to yoke up with him. Even when the winds blow and the storms are swirling all around us, let's come to him and worship him like the shepherds did that night when they were told about the coming of this child. They went and worshiped him. He's here. He's here for you right now. He's here for all of us all the time. We take our eyes off of them, and that's when we lose the peace. But when we get our eyes back on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that's when we experience the Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, may Jesus be our peace this week and in all the days ahead, guarding our soul with peace, filling our spirit with the wholeness of shalom, ruling as the Prince of Peace in our hearts. Amen.